Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. If you're a regular listener, welcome back, and if this is your first episode, I'm glad you found us and thanks for listening. Today's episode features Russell Henry, and you'll recognize the last name if you listen to his father, Brian Henry, from episode 54. Russell and his brother Graham completed an incredible paddle from Brazil to Florida. This was a great adventure and a super fun story. Russell's a great storyteller. I laughed all the way through with Russell on this one. So have fun with this episode. Enjoy today's episode with Russell Henry. Hi, Russell. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, John. No, uh, no worries. Yeah. So, Russell, we know how you got your start as a paddler uh, through your family, but why did you gravitate toward huge objectives? Tell us a little bit about that. It actually kind of started when I was going to university and had to plan a dream expedition. And it was supposed to be something I wanted to do one day. And most of the students kind of didn't take it that seriously. They just thought, oh, yeah, I'll, one day, you know, when I'm older, I got more money, I'll do this trip. But I planned this big sea kayak trip and then just called my brother up and said, Graham, what are you doing next year? So let's do this. And then I kind of dropped out of school <laughs> and then <laughs> and then went and did it. I, I don't know. I just thought I, I like the complexity of planning a big expedition and, and obviously, yeah, all, all the challenges that come with it. What uh, Had you done big expeditions before your Caribbean trip? No. Okay. No, not at all. all right. I've done a seven-day a seven trip. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So yeah, I just I decided to just go in, go all, go big. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so tell me about your paddling. What's uh, tell me tell me about you as a paddler? Um, me as a paddler. So it's actually kind of it's changed a lot since back then. Grew up in a sea kayak family, kind of forced into going on to trips with with the family, and and wasn't wasn't super keen on it. Um, and then. Eventually, I started guiding a little bit, mostly at like uh, at kids camps and outdoor ed centers, sea kayaking. And I took it to the next level, planned this big trip through the Caribbean with my brother, and then planned a few more trips, and then continued guiding. And then now, in the last few years, I've kind of been transitioning out of guiding. Paddle a lot more whitewater these days. I run a whitewater kayak school here in the the Sea to Sky Corridor in BC. I still see kayak guide down in Antarctica on a on a tourism ship there, but. Antarctica, if you have to, right? If, I know, right? They <laughs> twist my arm, get me down there. <laughs> so how do you go from not really you know, liking the trips, you know, you mentioned kind of forced to go on family trips, to <laughs> then um, then doing a seven-month expedition? Yeah, I don't know. We, we, we didn't really think too much. We were like, I think we didn't think too much about the actual sea kayaking part. We were more so stoked about all the countries we traveled to and like, the logistical like complexities and the adventure and like exploring of it and then we got there and then we started paddling and we're like oh dang <laughs> <laughs> but then i mean after like oh my god after months we eventually just just got in a rhythm and then started to really enjoy enjoy once we got to the point where i think we could we could paddle like get in that flow state some would call it where you you don't have to think at all and your body's just moving and, you're, and you're, your body's moving, paddling, and you're traveling to these great places in this boat and you're not even having to think about it. That's a pretty cool place to get to. Yeah. So walk us through the Caribbean epic. So we started in Belém, Brazil, just on the south side of the mouth, the Amazon. 
we were actually stuck in Brazil for two months waiting for our boats to arrive and shipping from shipping. That was that was horrible. But <laughs> once we eventually got our boats, yeah, it was a seven month trip. Started there, two and a half months going up the South American coast. We don't think anybody had ever paddled that coastline before, mostly because it's pretty horrible. <laughs> it's just full of mud and bugs and and not very conducive for camping. Then from Venezuela, then we island hopped all the way across the Caribbean, up the Lesser Antilles and through the Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, up through the Bahamas, back to Florida. Yeah, seven months, six and a half thousand K. It was it was great. Yeah, in twenty three countries, is that right? Uh, something like that something yeah like a lot that. of like overseas territories and stuff too and yeah but a lot a lot of immigration and, and border crossings that were sometimes challenging so why did you start in belem on the south side of uh the amazon and decide to do that two and a half month slog as it sounds like up, yeah, the, uh, up the south america coast <laughs> why didn't you just start in like venezuela and paddle straight through yeah, that was the original plan. So, yeah, when I first thought of the trip, I just looked at a world map and I saw all the islands across the Caribbean and figured, oh, you just connect those dots. And then looked into it and John Dowd had done that trip before, I think in the late 70s, Venezuela to Florida in two doubles. And it took them seven months. So that's what we originally planned. And after a bunch of research and after we kind of committed ourselves and committed our time, we realized that just with faster boats and what have you, it wasn't going to take us seven months to cross the Caribbean, but we wanted to do a seven month trip. So we looked at extending it. We thought about extending the end up to New York, but that would have been paddling into New York in winter, which doesn't sound that great. And then we looked south and Belém was like the logical starting point down there. It was cool. I would not do it again, but I don't regret going down there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So the south side of the Amazon, I mean, the, the mouth of the Amazon alone, that's a pretty decent crossing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It took us like two weeks to cross the Amazon. There's an island the south or the size of Switzerland, just like plugs it right north of where we started. That and then just so many endless channels of like 10 kilometer crossings, like still decent sized crossings going across this river mouth and just like so many struggles there. <laughs> there's just so much tide there's like over 20 feet of tide and no topography at all it's just dead flat so when the tide goes in it's into the mangroves and when the tide goes out there's two kilometer mud flats that was really hard yeah it sounds uh it's brutal if you end up uh, landing at low tide yeah a lot of slogging and crawling through the mud all while getting destroyed by bugs <laughs> <laughs> So were there good parts of that uh, that first two and a half months? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, ha having those struggles made it extra awesome to get to the little towns and have those experiences with like the locals. Just even like getting to a town and having a glass bottle of Coca-Cola after like a week baking under the sun, like under the equator, and then getting into town and just like sitting in the shade and drinking a Coke. Oh, that was some amazing stuff, actually. <laughs> yeah. Now, I hear you met a, uh, a somewhat a famous paddler by accident in a club in uh, Belém. Is that right? Maybe maybe in Trinidad? Freya? Oh, oh Freya. Okay. I guess, it was, I guess it was Trinidad. All right. Ah, yeah. We ran into her in, in Trinidad. She was on her way, Freya Hoffmeister. She was around on her way around South America. And we met in 
that was a capital trip. I can't even remember anymore. We were there being hosted by the paddling community. So we were staying with some really nice folks and Freya was coming the other way around South America. And she also rolled into town and was Port of Spain. That's the town. She was being hosted by paddlers. So we met up for a lunch and a dinner and we really wanted to kind of give her some advice because we had just paddled this coastline that she was going to have to go down and we knew how lousy it was. Yeah. Bring so, bug spray. Bring bug spray. <laughs> bring a hammock so you can hammock in the mangroves. And just giving her like points on a map, like this place is a place you can get to dry land. This is a town you cannot get to. Things like that. So tell us about some of the people you met along the way. So nice. So helpful. Everywhere. You know, we went down worried about pirates. Okay. <laughs> Just a little bit. Pirates and, and, and like drug smuggling up the Venezuelan coast and stuff. So we brought machetes with us. They just turned into falling apart pieces of rust. But <laughs> we used them for a couple of trees. Um, every, everyone, like the first two and a half months in South America, that was the time we were most worried. We'd be paddling along and a boat would come up and we'd be like, oh my God, is this it? Are the pirates going to get us? <laughs> and then there'd be people and they'd just be like, what you doing? And then they'd be so lovely and they'd give us fish or they'd just like give us advice and just like so many thumbs up as well. They love thumbs up down there. And yeah, super nice. And then, and then going through the Caribbean again, just people, it, we really had a bit of a wow factor because people kind of get to their island and then they're, they're on that island and that is the universe. Unless they're a yacht, like on a sailboat, then they can go around. But we'd roll into towns and people would be like, oh, I see Kai, can you coming from the resort around the corner? I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. We're coming from, uh, from St. Lucia or from uh, Martinique or the town before, or we're coming from Brazil. <laughs> they go, what? No, 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 no. And then that would, and then people would just be like, oh my God, let us help you, please. <laughs> So, yeah, so many nice people. That's cool. So you mentioned border crossings. Tell us a little bit about the border crossing process. You know, it wasn't... There was, the Dominican Republic was a little tricky. They have these, like, Marine police or Marine, Marine Army or... I can't remember what they were. I mean, Marine Army, Marines or... They just patrol the beaches and make sure that people are staying safe. And they didn't like us at all camping on beaches. So we had actually a lot of trouble in Dominican Republic with that. But that was the only country where there was hassle en route. Getting from country to country was always really, really entertaining, actually, in that we'd get to the port and we walk in and the port officer doesn't really look at us much. He's like, oh, you arrive in here. Here's some forms. And we fill out the forms. And I mean, we're so sun messed up and, and lips cracking and <laughs> got our PFDs on and we're so dirty. But he's not looking at us much. And we, we fill out the forms and it says like, number of horsepower and we say oh, two mp <laughs> two manpower and draft like oh, three inches and then, then the, the port officer would give it back to him and he'd look up like what what kind of boat you buys on and he'd go like oh uh, those the sea kayaks out there it's like no no you're coming from the resort around the corner <laughs> no and yeah, it, it was always awesome. It, it wasn't that much of a hassle in the Caribbean. South America, there was obviously some language barrier with Brazil going into French Guiana. But I mean, it, 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 the, the lucky thing with that, that route is that it is a pretty popular trip that people take in their sailboats, minus the South America section. So all the port of calls are pretty, pretty easy and set up. 
So once you get to Venezuela and you're ready to, to go through the Caribbean proper, um, tell us about that process going through the Caribbean. Yeah, the Caribbean, it was like, really, the, the trip was two separate trips almost. Not like it was divided by any time, but they were just so different. And it actually worked out really well for us. And that the two and a half months in South America got us really strong and able to sit in our boat for long hours and like multiple days even when we had to sleep in our boats. And that got us set for the Caribbean where it was easy living and nice beaches and whatnot, but big crossings. So I can't remember exactly how many. I think we had 10 crossings that were over 100 kilometers, so like maybe like 60 nautical miles or something. And then a couple that 150 kilometers, um, what's that, 80, 89 miles, 80, 90 or something? Something like that, yep. So just big crossings. We were in our boats for 20, up to up to 27 hours. Luckily, we were strong, and they weren't that hard. It was more a mental game of staying awake and not going insane with boredom. Not much to look at when you can't see any land, and you can just see your brother paddling next to you who you're starting to hate. <laughs> so... <laughs> We, we got into some pretty entertaining conversations just to stay awake. But yeah, the Caribbean, I mean, it, it was amazing. Like, I, I know, I see why the Caribbean is so special for so many vacationers and, and yachties. And it's it's a pretty amazing place. And, and sea kayaking there, I think, was extra special just because you get to slow it all down when you are going through all the little islands that, that aren't huge crossings, like through the Exumas and the Bahamas, 500 little islands just tic-tac-toed like all the way up oh man yeah so amazing and then just white sand beaches everywhere and amazing snorkeling so what kind of weather did you run into weather was actually like not a huge factor on this trip it was pretty stable the majority of the trip it was kind of sunny kind of not that windy in the caribbean things changed a little bit before a few crossings we were really picky with our with our weather windows for our crossings so we actually got stuck for 10 days uh, on the north end of Dominican Republic before our biggest crossing up to the Turks and Caicos when it was just, I think it was blowing like 20 to 30 knots at our side and, and we had a 150 kilometer crossing to do. So we were really careful on that one. And then there, there's lots of squalls that come in through the Caribbean where you're, you're paddling along, it's sunny, it's not very windy, and then you just see this black blob of cloud and, and rain coming towards you. And then it, it hits and it's like blowing like 40, 50 knots and raining. But it, sometimes it would last 10 minutes. Sometimes it would last 30 minutes and then it'd be gone. And we, we, we kind of relied on that, that we knew that they were temporary. So it, we wouldn't worry too much about them. They just, they were just part of what was happening. And yeah. Otherwise like pretty chill on the weather front, especially compared to the West coast of, of BC where I've done most of my paddling. Well, that's good that you had uh, easy weather for the most part. So how do yeah. you how do you deal with uh, you know you're out doing a hundred hundred k crossing, and all of a sudden that black co- black cloud pops up. How do you manage that out there? You just keep keep paddling. <laughs> you just keep going. It like uh, really as long as it was a small back black cloud, like not not the entire sky. It would be a small system that you could see and it would just be luck of the draw. If it hits us, oh, just keep trucking um, and it would pass on. There was only one time actually where we got hit by a real storm that was a full system. It was this, it was on the east coast of the States. It was called this polar vortex that hit that winter. 
it brought like a lot of snow down down the eastern seaboard that came down into the caribbean and the bahamas on a, one of our i think it was maybe 100k maybe it was 80 kilometer crossing all the yachties were staying out they're at the marina they're like no we're not going anywhere big system coming in and graham and i had been paddling for six months and we were so so complacent <laughs> we were just like ah man we're gonna be fine let's go and just start doing this crossing and it was also a crossing that felt safe because in the Bahamas, a lot of it is like 10 feet deep the whole way. It's this huge bank. So you can see the bottom, but it's such a false sense of security because it's not safe at all. Like you can drown in six feet of water. Even. Yeah. So so we paddled out and then this big system came and it was like there was thunder and lightning and we were starting to talk about like, huh, does carbon conduct electricity? Like, hmm, what are these paddles we got? This is this bad? <laughs> so, I mean, we had, we like changed course a little bit, trying to kind of get around it. And mostly we're just delayed a few hours in, in, in getting to, getting to Nassau. Yeah. So, not too bad. So were you camping most of the time on the islands or did you find, did you have other places to stay, people to stay with that sort of thing? Yeah. Of the, ooh, however many days, I don't know how many days it was, 200 days or something. We camped 95% of, 95% of the time we just camped. Through the Caribbean, we did manage to stay at some nice resorts, and that was just part of part of our plan. And that we would email email res- like a bunch of resorts at an island before we'd get there, and say, "Hey, this is who we are. Here's our website. These are all our sponsors. This is the press we've gotten. If we stay, if we do a presentation to your guests, will you host us?" And really surprisingly to us, it actually worked quite often. Um, there was probably well, maybe six or seven resorts through the Caribbean that hosted us for a couple nights and we do kind of like managers cocktails and oh those are the Henry brothers they just paddled here from Brazil and we just socialize and guests would buy us drinks and we'd wander around wander around try to be civilized and yeah it was it, it was actually super nice like change up to mostly to shower and get the salt sort like salt off us stop all the chafing and do laundry and this and sleep in a real bed, which was weird, actually. Sleeping in a weird bed, I bet it was weird. I bet. I'm, um, I'm, I'm picturing you guys walking around this, uh, you know, this meeting space, and everybody's in their, <laughs> in their finery, and here you are, you got yeah. cracked, cracked lips, then you know, long yeah. hair, and uh, just looking like you've come off a boat from four months. <laughs> yeah, you know, we did, we did buy like a nice shirt and a nice pair of pants each that we kept in a bag. We're like, this is for schmoozing. These are our schmoozing clothes. But I remember one of the resorts we went to in St. Lucia, when we got to check in, they like carried our bags up and put our boats in storage for us. And we walked in to check in and they came and they brought us like these silver platters with champagne and these little wet white towels. (laughs) And I remember (laughs) picking it up and I was like, Graham, what do I do with this? I think you're supposed to pat your forehead with it but we're just so dirty and it just turns like so brown just from touching my forehead and like ah yes uh thank you (laughs) it was a funny moment so you mentioned conversations earlier um tell us some of the craziest things you guys end up talking about oh boy oh i i think the most entertaining thing that we used were just would you rather it's like would you rather have this versus that or would you rather fight a lion or a leopard? But then it got so twisted sometimes. 
I don't know. That, that, oof, I couldn't recall any real conversations. It was so long ago. Hours yeah. long debates in a hundred K crossing and you got to figure out something to talk about, right? Oh yeah. I, I, you know, actually a thing that I was really good at was business planning. I mean, I don't know if I was good at it. I didn't start any of the businesses, but it's something that I did. I just start talking. Like I came back with probably three full business plans. One to start a bagel business in a ski town. Uh, I think one was like a, like a breakfast shop somewhere. Um, and then I just as I'm paddling, I'm like doing mental math in my head, adding things up. And then I'd have to that night, I'd like write in my book all the things out. And I'd be like, okay, tomorrow you're going to think about all these things. And then I'd paddle, I'd think about them. I did a lot of singing too. That kept me busy a lot of the time. Any problems keeping awake? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm not very good at staying awake. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't that, it wasn't back then at least. On, yeah, a couple of the crossings just like trying everything just like screaming to stay awake trying to like well, yeah that didn't work very well it was the hardest when we'd paddle through the night and because most of all our crossings we planned to land in the day didn't matter what time we left we just wanted to land in the daytime so that often meant that we'd aim to be landing like right midday so we'd launch at 6 p.m or 10 p.m or whatever so we paddled through the night and, and that wasn't hard at all. Actually paddling the night was really nice. And then, but it was when the sun would come up, that's when our bodies were kind of like, Oh, something's not right here. Why are you still doing this sport? <laughs> and, and that's when my body in particular would start to shut down and yeah, I'd scream at myself. I'd slap myself in the face. I'd really just conversation with Graham was the best way to do it. Once we were talking, about where we were aiming on Grenada, I remember. And we were kind of arguing about like, I'll aim for this point, I'll aim for that point. And then we decided on where we were gonna aim. And then Graham looks over at me like 30 seconds later and my head's kind of down and I'm paddling way off to the right. And he yells at me, he's like, he's starting to get angry. He's like, Russ, we agreed we were gonna aim over there. And then of course I was sleeping <laughs> while still kayaking and then all of a sudden i woke up and i wasn't even looking at grenada anymore i was like grenada was way off at my nine o'clock and it was amazing actually that was that was a thing that i wanted to reach again on the trip where i managed to still kayak while sleeping um whereas usually i'd kind of fall asleep and then wake up instantly from like tipping over well not actually tipping over but getting that tipping sensation yeah um yeah staying awake is hard now, you were in singles, correct? We were in singles. Okay. So why'd yeah. you choose singles versus a double? Our insanity. <laughs> yeah. It's like all, all logical things at the start in, in planning led, we're, we're pointing to bring a double. Like a double is faster. It's safer if someone gets injured. Uh, someone could sleep while the other person paddles. There's so many reasons to bring it. We would have been done so much quicker if we were in a double as well. But already doing a trip seven months with anyone is hard in like close quarters like in a small little tent every single day so we brought singles just just for peace of mind so we could relax and paddle separately and do your own thing have some individuality i guess on the trip so what yeah. was what was the planning process like as you threaded through the islands um not much i mean we just kind of took it one island at a time and, and one crossing at a time we had a lot of charts with us 
but the charts were so large scale that they'd show like three countries on one chart and we didn't know much about the coastline our chart was so undetailed like a whole country saint lucia would be like the size of your hand maybe even the size of your palm on the map yeah so really just paddling on the coastline we'd just be paddling until we find a spot that looked good to sleep and then make our way up to the to the north end and then cross and go to the next one <laughs> all right yeah we were talking about camping earlier um yeah just wild camping kind of wherever you found a spot yeah 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 and yeah end up getting I, kicked I, off anywhere uh, in the Dominican Republic, people people didn't like us camping on beaches, but you know, actually, there was one beach in the Dominican Republic where we were camping, and it was oh yeah yeah it was right around Christmas. We spent Christmas on this beach, and there were so many people there vacationing, and we were camped in this little empty lot right in between all these mega resorts. That these a couple of local fishermen said like yeah you can camp here that's gonna be good. So we'd go out and we'd wash our dishes in the, in the in the ocean with like old oatmeal drifting down. There's all these people in bikinis like sunbathing and frolicking around in the water, and we're there washing our dishes and going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny, but yeah, mostly just just wild camping. Uh, I don't think we ever paid to camp anywhere. We slept on some piers as well, some docks. Um, behind some buildings and some a lot of bushes, a lot of beaches. We got washed out by the tide a couple times in the curb or in, in Brazil. That was not okay, but that seems to happen to me a lot in life anyways. That, that I mess up with the tides. <laughs> so you just kind of mis misjudged where it was coming in or how how high oh it was going Yeah, totally. It took us a while to like really grasp hold of how big how drastic the tide swings were down there. So I think it was twice on, on, on the trip that both down in Brazil were, yeah, camp, and then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like kind of in a dream state. Man, is my, are my feet, feet wet right now or what is happening? Because you don't get like here on the West Coast, if that happens, you get cold. I mean, you're wet, you're like cold. But there it's so hot that being in the water is nice. So it's kind of, you can't really tell. And then all of a sudden you get up and you go, oh my gosh. Hopefully the boats haven't floated away here. Let's get, get up. <laughs> we were also really scared of the jungle at first. Graham's got a fear of snakes. I also don't really like snakes. And we're just not good creepy crawly people. So we really resisted camping in the jungle. So we were really trying to camp on the beach, but then really had to give up on that plan <laughs> to get away from the water. What was your favorite part? Uh, just the people. Just the people hosting us and some of like the families and people that that we stayed with super cool or even people that would just invite us in for dinner that was that was the best part and also the worst part the worst part of it was lacking this community where we'd meet all these amazing people for a few days or an evening and then see you later never gonna see you again i think it's a classic thing that all travelers experience but if you're if you're normally traveling, you can kind of say like, oh, I really like these people. Like maybe I'm gonna stay here a few weeks. We were on a schedule. Like we we had to keep moving, so kind of forced to to leave all these great connections we were slowly making, or quickly making, I guess, behind. So that was hard. But then again, they they were so amazing. All the people. Have you had any opportunity to stay in touch with any of them? You know, over social media and email, but I don't think. 
Graham actually he he met up with with Nedson, one of our friends from down in Brazil when we were stuck there for two months. He met up with Nedson, I think, in New York quite a few years ago. But no, I haven't seen anyone. Okay. Anyone at all on that not trip. How about the scariest part of the trip? Either setting off for our first couple big crossings was scary, or landing on on Rodonda, this uh, this crazy island, the kingdom of Rodonda. Actually, it's, it's a crazy island, crazy story. Crazy should look into it if you if you don't know about it. it's got a cool history of who owns it and whatnot uh but anyways it's between two big two countries i can't remember maybe dominica and montserrat or something it's just a giant rock like i mean it's got grass on top but it's such bouldery sides and but no one ever goes there so we thought it would be super cool to land there and we kind of paddling up also, there's no trees or anything, so we had no perspective on it. We were paddling up like, oh, yeah, look at that beach over there. Let's go land there. And then kind of approached it. And as we're approaching it, just like keeps on coming and keeps on coming. And that beach turned into like oven-sized sharp boulders with like dumping waves on them. But again, we'd been paddling for like four months maybe. And we're, we're so not cocky, just like just confident, I guess, that we still landed. <laughs> and... <laughs> That was like sketchy in the risk of breaking our boats in the middle of absolute nowhere, breaking our boats or breaking ourselves with this dumping surf. And then we got out of our boats up on the shore, hauled these like 150 pound loaded kayaks up. And then we're like giving each other high fives and like, yeah, we landed on Redonda. Oh my God, how are we going to get off? (laughs) (laughs) So then we... We ended up carrying our boats, I think, for a couple hours around to another beach that was more like microwave-sized boulders and dumping surf and just Much pushed better. our boats out. Yeah, pushed our boats out and swam out. Oh, and then a couple surf launches in the dark were also scary. There were some scary moments, but yeah, I'd, I'd say Redondo was probably the, the moment where we were like, oh, have we overdone it? Looking back on it, was it fun? Yeah. Yeah, totally. But not one you'd repeat. Um, I, I mean, I'd go paddle in the Caribbean again for sure. Like, there's some amazing stretches there. Wouldn't go back to the coastline of South America. Like, you couldn't force me to do that. <laughs> the Caribbean, I'd go back to, and I've always wanted to do another really big trip. Se- seven months is a little long, but four or five months. Oh yeah, there's so many other trip ideas I've had that just haven't pulled the trigger on something big like that. So how old were you and Graham when you did this trip? I was 21. Graham was 22. Okay. Yeah. So what prepared you at that age for this magnitude of a trip? Probably our upbringing. Like we were pretty confident campers, at at least. We were confident campers and, I mean, confident sea kayakers, although we didn't have the big trip experience. Growing up, camping with family and, and... going on sea kayak trips and then then leading kids, guiding kids on some trips. Um, that helped a lot. I guess I went to university for a year for, for adventure guiding. So I don't know, that probably played some played a part in it. Graham was a little older. He had just finished his undergrad in Kelowna and I mean, we, we were both confident paddlers and, and confident campers. I think that's all you really need. And then just like, logistic wise pick it apart like one puzzle piece at a time it took a lot of planning it took like a full year of prep for this trip so without that i don't think we could have done it 
So 6,500K, um, seven months, and you've hit 22 countries, and now you're hitting your 23rd country, U.S. What's it feel like to land in Florida? Oh, we were so stoked. We were so happy to be done. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, seven months was too long. Like after four or five months, we were we got to the point of like, okay, ready to get to Florida now. And but we still had like 2000 kilometers to go. So kept jogging, kept jogging, and then making it to Florida. It was just um, with sea kayaking. I mean, any sea kayaker knows how much time you have on your hands while you're paddling to ponder life and think about life plans and this and that. So think about that for seven months. We had so many things we were excited to go back to do and friends to see and loved ones and whatnot. So yeah, it was just, just excited to be done really. And I mean, also like super cool accomplishment. There was a bunch of speaking, speaking things we did at schools and some trade shows we did afterwards. Yeah, it felt felt really great. And there was a, a welcome party as well. This random guy that we random connection of a random, like distant cousin that lived down there, Coke Coakley, this guy, he organized everything he got like ESPN was there. Wow. He got like a letter from our provincial premier congratulating us a letter from the mayor of like Juno Beach, the town that we were landing in. Our parents came down for the for the arrival. There was a little party it was kind of overwhelming but really really awesome and all just from this guy who just was stoked on our trip was juno beach your planned landing point or was that somewhere else no it was yeah just from from bimini in the bahamas it probably doesn't look on a map like juno beach was our planned landing because it's a big diagonal we did across that strait uh but there's so much current going south to north that we we planned that we just we just coasted up, and I think we also thought it was cool that the Canadians landed at Juno Beach, since that was a famous thing from World War Two, where the Canadians went in, in to a Juno Beach in France. I think. Cool. Yeah, no. Interesting connection. So, yeah. so somebody will repeat that again. Maybe not the uh, the South America portion, but they're going to repeat yeah. the the rest of the route. What advice would you give them? You know, a lot of people have actually emailed emailed us in, in the first probably five years since we did the trip. A lot of people got in touch asking about the tips for little parts of that trip i don't i don't know if anyone's done venezuela to florida again what do we tell them we tell them to i would tell them to be prepared for boredom be resourceful get comfortable sitting in your boat like stretch those hamstrings out get comfortable sitting yeah and bring some sunscreen Yeah, that 6,500K of, uh, of no topography and very few trees, that, that's got to add to the boredom. Coastline paddling, not boring at all. You see yachts and resorts and, and, and lots and cool mountains and stuff through there, but the crossings, boring. South America, boring. It's not boring. <laughs> Me saying boring makes it seem like I didn't want to be there. It's just like actually kind of a cool challenge, especially for a 21-year-old that's pretty high energy oh, yeah. to kind of be forced to slow down and just be at peace with my thoughts so maybe monotonous as opposed to boring just kind of the same thing but still uh still interesting in its own way totally yeah so you didn't really do this for publicity um you just did it for yourself is that right yep that's cool yeah we uh (laughs) yeah people asked if we 
it was pretty common people asking like, oh, what are you raising money for? We, and we needed to raise money. We had a crowdfunding site. We, we didn't, we just wanted to do the trip, but we needed money. So, but we didn't want to be like, not fake. I just feel like a lot of people just pick a charity to, to get that money for their trip, but also to, to help the charity, but they, they just need to pick something. We didn't want to just like randomly choose something just because it would make people make donors give more money. What we were passionate about though, was to spread adventure in the outdoors with kids. And that's what we both had done for the past bunch of summers working as, as camp counselors and outdoor educators. So we didn't raise money for it, but after the trip and on the trip, actually, we presented at schools to try to get kids excited to go outside and just go for it. Just go adventure. So after this trip, um, you returned and jumped right into getting ready to circumnavigate Vancouver Island. Yeah. So how long between the end of the, uh, this Caribbean trip to uh, Van- Vancouver? Ooh, got back end of February, March, April, May, three months or so. Yeah, three months, which I, I thought was going to be okay for keeping strong. But I just went skiing for a couple months and kind of... <laughs> lost a bit of muscle but in the end like me thinking back to it now if i went and tried to break the record going around the island right now there's no way i could do that like i had so much muscle built up and 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 also like skin strength on my hands my hands not falling apart so how is it different going from a seven month pace to a sub 13 day pace how is it different well pace wise I paddled a little faster, obviously, (laughs) but just use like, I honestly didn't paddle that much faster than the Caribbean. It was really just about time on the water. Like I'd spend like, have like 12 to 14 hour days for 13 days straight is what, what happened on the, on the Island. I mean, I did travel faster, obviously, and I had a quicker boat that helped and I brought a wing paddle. So I moved faster, but again, it was just like, just chugging long days. So all those days in the Caribbean, like really paid off for that. So not only in terms of the um, pace of, of speed that you're going, but how did you change your mindset from that kind of casual island life to just all go? It, I, I don't think it was actually that much of a mindset change because in the Caribbean, like forward progress was always on our mind. It was always like, okay, how do we get to the next country? How do we get to the next island? And and it was the same going around the island. It was like, how do I get to the next like point? And how do I get around around that tip of the island? Or how do I get around that island? Like that little sub island there. This for that. So it was it was always forward progress oriented on both of those trips. Biggest mindset change was going on my own, going around the island, motivating myself to get up in the morning at like. 1am or something when I can't move my fingers from all the blisters and so tired and it's obviously super dark out and it's raining like not having Graham there to motivate me on that was that was definitely the hardest part about going around the island were you supported on the island no okay so the record the record is solo and self-supported and self-supported is kind of a undefined rule me and a few of the other previous record holders were chatting with Carter Johnson actually quite a few years ago because he was interested in, in trying to break it and wanted some definition on it. And we figured 
self-supported is the help. If you get help, it needs to be available to everyone. So if you're going to walk to the grocery store for groceries, that's okay because anyone can come and do that. But if you know someone that lives on the island, you can't stay with them and they can't bring you groceries because that's not available to everyone. Everyone doesn't know someone on the island. So it's self-supported. I, I did go to the grocery store once, maybe twice. Did I go to the No, one, one time. And then obviously filled up water at a bunch of marinas and stuff. And then and that record still holds today, right? It does. Yes. So you're like 12 hours and, or sorry, 12, 11 days, 12 days? 12 days, 23 hours, 45 minutes. Yeah, I kind of want someone to break it already. Yeah. It was really exciting for the for the next, for the few years, maybe the five years after I, I broke it, that every summer there was a, one or two people that would try, but they didn't. Mostly due to weather, it seems. I'm, I, like, I admit that weather is, I was lucky with weather. You need a bit of luck with you to break it, for sure. Yeah, people haven't had the, the stars haven't aligned yet. But now I haven't heard of anyone trying the last few years. I mean, COVID's probably also played a, a, a part of that. Yeah, I, I think it would be cool if somebody broke it. Yeah. Maybe because well, I'll go try to break their record now. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. Well, good luck to whoever comes along and, uh, and takes that next step. Yeah, totally. So then after Vancouver, a year or two later, you and your brother, along with a few friends, did and won the Paddlecraft Division in the first race to Alaska? Yes. There was no division. Okay. We didn't win anything. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it, it was the first first year the race happened, which was a really exciting year because no one really knew what was going to be fastest. And we weren't sailors, so we, we brought a six-man overgear canoe with a couple sails on it in case we had some tailwinds. But there was all these high-powered multi-hull sailboats that just don't have motors, have like a rowing setup or a, paddle, uh, a pedal power setup. That just dominated. I mean, we we ran into a week of gale force headwinds right off the bat. And we couldn't tack, so we were just grinding into the wind. And yeah, we we were the first primarily human-powered team that got there. But no, we just had, uh, you know, we got some groupies. We had some groupies. People were stoked on us, but no, no real awards or, or recognition at all. all right. But I mean, the recognition of doing the trip was pretty pretty rad. With those guys, was just so sweet. Cool. So you mentioned earlier. Um... You had lots of trip ideas that you had, you know, you obviously had time to think about it um, while you're on doing the Caribbean trip. What were some of those, what, what's next on your adventure list? Oh boy. You know, I don't know. Life has kind of gotten away from me <laughs> back then. I feel like I could just, because I was working seasonally, I was working as a ski patroller or a sea kayak guide. You can take a season off. Now I own a house. I work as a paramedic. I am trying to become a pilot. I've got lots of things that are Getting in the way of these big adventures, but if I could, oh boy, paddling the Aleutians would be cool. Circumnavigating Scandinavia is something that would be cool. There's like waterways and rivers that can link through Russia. Sea kayaking in Indonesia would be sweet. Oh, there's so many great places. Mm-hmm. But then I'm also a big skier, so so big ski traverses are are in kind of a newer thing in my in my life that I've been doing. Also stoked on those. And then whitewater kayaking is probably more of my passion now than, than sea kayaking. So you mentioned uh, whitewater paddling school. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, me and a buddy here in in BC, we started a, a school. Last summer was our first year operating. Uh, river culture kayaking is what it's called. Yeah, we're just mostly trying to share this great sport with people because it's obviously a hard sport to get into if you don't know if you don't know someone with, with doubles and in all the gear 
that's willing to take you out, there's not really many ways, especially out here in BC, to get out. I just run into so many people that find out I'm a paddler and they're like, oh my God, I've always wanted to do that. How do I do that? And that's before I was like, oh, I don't know. So we're trying to make that happen. And we run courses from straight intro to whitewater all the way up to intro to class four courses, which is awesome. I love it. I, I really like instructing, instructing whitewater and just seeing people's challenges and getting through those challenges and, and the stoke you see. So how can listeners reach you and uh, learn more about river, river culture kayaking? Yeah. Riverculturekayaking.com is our website or just riverculturekayaking at gmail.com. If you want to get straight to the email, check out the website. If you have any interest in paddling, I, I always tell sea kayakers that the best way to get comfortable in big water, like exposed ocean is to get comfortable on a river. So get on a river if you're interested and you live out here, check us out. Russell, I've got one final question for you. And this question we ask of all of our guests here on the show, and that is who else would you like to hear as the future guest on Paddling the Blue? Yeah, so someone that's a whitewater paddler turned sea kayaker. Like I said, whitewater kayaking is so good for any kayaker. And Eric Boomer is a guy who, oh, he's done so many cool first descents on the river and then done some sea kayak trips up in the Arctic that are cool. And he also has this big, big expedition mindset, which I think is super cool. All right. Well, I will, uh, actually, uh, Eric was a referred guest by John Turk in an earlier episode. Um, so that's two for Eric now. So we'll cool. definitely be reaching out and uh, continuing to try and get in touch with Eric. We had connected uh, a little while ago and uh, we'll keep making that connection and work on getting, uh, getting Eric on the show. Cool. So, Russell, thank you very much. This has been fantastic learning from you and learning about your Caribbean trip um, and all the experience you had along the way. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing what comes next on your adventure list. Awesome. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, John. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler, and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Seven months, 6,500 kilometers, and 23 countries, and no pirates. That's the story of a lifetime. I'm imagining Russell and Graham sleeping in the mud with one eye open and another on a rusty machete. What a fun interview and a great spirit of adventure just for the fun of it. And as for future adventures... Russell told me after the interview that the entire length of the Aleutian chain, including the commanders and then making the crossing to Kamchatka, is high on the dream list. So if you've got ideas on getting that one done, reach out to Russell. Just promise me that if you do it, you'll join me for a future episode. Now, speaking of that, we're always looking for new guests for the show, and we get great suggestions from our interviewees, but many of our guests have come from listeners just like yourselves. So if you've got someone that you think would make an ideal guest, send me a message at john at paddlingtheblue.com, and we'll see if we can get them on the show. For our next show, we're going to feature Kelly Marie Henry. While there's no relation in name, Kelly's story is also one of adventure. 
but in a different way. Kelly, along with Laura Zelliger from episode 61, formed the Fearless Formosa paddling team. And in this episode, Kelly shares the discoveries she has made through paddling that prompted her to pursue paddling as a profession and move halfway around the globe to do it. Thanks as always for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.